Hello, Horror Fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast. Ooh, the the horror. horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at oth at seriouslydecent.com. True story. You can reach us at our podcast uh, official website, ohthehorrorpodcast.com, to get our our whole catalog, social media presence. Yeah. Turns out you can access that stuff on the website. You really can. Weird, right? And people do, which is the nice part. That's cool. Yeah. So either way that you get turned on to us, you can we get a, have our fantastic Facebook group. You can get a hold of us. Yes, and we've uh, made it a point to be a little more active on that. At least yes. I have. Yes, you partaking, have. trying to make it uh, actually interesting instead of just a communications board. You know. Yes. Yes. Well, I try to add some. Well, stuff. you know, sometimes you get wrapped up in these projects. And you're just like in official mode the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm like dealing mm-hmm. with the emails with platforms and all that stuff. And yeah. It's just this is where you can communicate with me, and it's like. Uh, maybe, you know, I get the whole social media thing, interacting mm-hmm. with people, and it's fun because you see like a cool picture, meme, or mm-hmm. animated picture, as the old folks call them, you know. <laughs> and, a uh, moving picture? A, a talkie, <laughs> you know. And um, yeah, you can share that kind of stuff, and it's yeah. fun. Yeah. You know, there's some really creative people out there. There are. And it's cool that there's a forum like that for people to share their creativity and their insane notions of hilarity yes because there's some insanely hilarious shit out on social media there is and that's where as much as i hate social media and i do i I can't stand it i know but that's where i look at this podcast as a gift Mm -hmm. because i have to be on Mm -hmm. social media to some degree Right. And I've bought into basically this Facebook sphere and Instagram sphere. Yes. And and there is a hilarity that's shared that's just so there is. So genuine and, and interesting and, and extremely creative. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see that instead of all the bullshit. Yeah. 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 Big topic today. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's not like there haven't been books and movies and television no. shows None. on it. None. Nothing. This story is such a household name. It really is. Like, it truly is. Just about anybody and everybody knows about this topic, which Correct. is amazing to me. Yes. Out of all the topics you could bring up, dredge up, talk yeah. about, yeah. this one just keeps, it just never goes away. It doesn't. And when it starts to go away, something it starts pulls to wither you up, right back pulls in. you right back in. You know, I, yeah. it's it's amazing to me. And that's honestly my big interest with this topic. So what are we talking about? We're, we're done, folks. See you later. And see. <laughs> thanks Make for good choices. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Amityville Horror. Yeah. I would like to per- preferably call this the Amityville Horror House. Because I think the house ultimately has become the big story. It, it has. But Overall. It has. You know. 
But I like just Amityville horror because, let's be honest, Mm -hmm. all of it is just horrific. From the time of the DeFeo uh, murders forward, because even the people that occupied the home after the Lutzes because of the movies and the books, it was a horrific experience for them. Not living in the house, but the... But the house is where it centralizes from. Yeah. Well, it's because... And I'm not even talking about any kind of alleged hauntings or anything. Yeah, no, that's Honestly, where the people just go. The, just mm-hmm. the fan the fan machine. Yes, the rubbernecking. Yeah. yeah, it's a good term, actually. Yeah. There are a total of 21 Amityville horror-related movies. 21. Stupid. I mean, you figure how many uh, Friday the 13th movies are there? I don't know, man. I don't, you know, but those are the, like. I didn't count the, the Friday the 13th, the the Halloweens, and the Nightmare on Elm Streets. I just did the DeFeo murders. <laughs> the end. How many, I'm, I'm putting in here, how many fur day? It's not fur day. It is not fur day. I'm, I'm not going to. You're not going to get many results. Yeah, yeah. So, let's see. How many Friday the 13th movies? There's some fan out there that's just like screaming. Yeah. It says they produce more than 10 movies. This is why we're not a movie podcast. <laughs> True story. We watch them, but we don't, yeah. uh, we don't obsess over them. No, we don't. That's, uh, uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's gotta be like 10 or 12, mm-hmm. 10 or 12 movies. You think they would just go right into the full Monty of 13 and just nail it shut. Friday the 13th, yeah. 13 movies. Yeah. We're done and here. We're done. Yeah. we're done here. We're no. moving on. Well, I mean, let's be honest. It's Hollywood. So yeah. they have, they'll have their first 13 and then they got the 13 reboots. No, then they're going to reboot. Yeah. yeah. But no, I thought it was crazy. 21. And that doesn't even include the books. No. There's tons of books on this. Yeah. A massive amount. But in, in short. For if, all a bunch of hokum. Well, and here's the thing. If you haven't heard much or haven't heard of this story at all for the two people maybe that are stumbling onto this. If you're here for the ghost stories, you're going to be disappointed. Well, you know, (laughs) well, well, I refer you back to haunted houses where it's (laughs) briefly discussed. We'll, we'll tap into that a bit, but basically this was a house in Amityville, New York. Yes. And on November 13th, 1974, this is the most certain fact of everything in this house. Yes. And that is that Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdered his family, his parents, two brothers, and two sisters. Yes. Known by this the locals. This isn't Butch. under debate. No. This really happened. Yes. This is, this is a, a, a fact. Correct. Because from now Irrefutable on. Irrefutable fact. From here on in is where the gray starts to sputter all over the place. And what we're, we were talking earlier on how we were going to approach this because you basically have the DeFeos yes. of that murder, yes, which kickstarted this whole Everything. thing. Yes. Then you have the Lutzes yes. who purchased the house after the DeFeo murder. Correct. And that's what most of the Hollywood stories is centered upon is centered upon mm-hmm. is the Lutzes. So I submit as we confessed on last week's episode leading up to this, uh-huh. that 
we're not going to talk about the Lutzes much at all. No, because I don't, I don't reference. Well, them and it's at been all. beaten into the ground. And here's my thing. There wouldn't oh, be boy. a story for the Lutzes if it weren't for the, the DeFeos. Yeah, and let's no, exactly. be honest. I think the DeFeo story in all of this should be told. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And that's that's the approach we're taking because yep. if we, we could easily just like rep, recline back, not even take a single note yes. and do the Lutzes because it's yeah. that easy because yeah. just off of media exposure, books written, stuff yeah. that we've, yeah. you know, that would be no problem. But the DeFeos, that is the meat of the story. None of this would have happened if without it, that. If it wasn't for the the incident on November thirteenth, nineteen seventy four. So should we get into it? I say we roll up our sleeves, get into it. Hopefully, not argue. <laughs> I don't think we will. I don't on this. think we will. No, we agree pretty much on a lot I of have this stuff here. One source, and it was pretty freaking amazing. Yeah, it was very all inclusive. I'm very glad I stumbled across mm-hmm. it, and it's AmityvilleMurders.com. They literally have everything. They've got uh, the court testimony. They've got um, transcripts. Mm-hmm. Like they've got they've got the the bits and pieces. And basically, to give a shout out to that site, neither Jen nor I have read this book. However, we're definitely after revisiting this topic, we're going to get the book we're gonna and check it, it out, and we'll let you know what we think of it. But the book is titled The Amityville Murders, The Full Story. And the author is Rick Osuna. I'm going to basically say or Os- it's O-S-U-N-A. He's a professional writer, researcher, filmmaker. He investigated the DeFeo murders and Amityville case for more than three years to uncover the shocking true story found in his uh, this book, The Night the DeFeos Died. Yes. And that's the title of the book. Yes. And this website is from this off author and basically everything that all he, all the he information is dredged he up that's not, you know, the book obviously right. is probably the central right. location of it. But if you're a Amityville murder fan, yes, Amityville horror if fan like of the house, you know the gist. This is a one place to go. This is a one stop shop. It sure is. And we pulled pretty much, I'd say, 90% of our. Uh, our stuff here. hundred percent for me. Well, for you, but I, I, I hit some other places and basically it's, um, it's no central other place. I just grab facts and little tidbits here and there off of a a number of sites, Mm -hmm. um, probably about a dozen in total. So let's get into this because there's a lot. Ronald Joseph, Big Ronnie DeFeo Sr., was born on November 16, 1930, to Rocco and Antoinette DeFeo. And when he was younger, Big Ronnie was slender, handsome, and with his good looks, he was able to attract the attention of Louise Marie Brigante. Mm. Born November 3rd, 1931, to Michael and Angela Brigante, Louise wanted to pursue a modeling career, and she was beautiful enough to mingle with the likes of people like legendary singer Mel Torme. Really? So after a brief courtship. The, the Velvet, what was it? Mm. The Velvet Frog or Fox? What was he? <laughs> I thought he was the Velvet Fog and that wasn't that rever- referring to his voice. Um, so after a brief courtship, Big Ronnie and Louise got married. 
And since the Brigantes, the Velvet which, Frog, which are Louise's uh, parents, they disapproved of Big Ronnie and cut ties with the newlyweds until mm-hmm. September 26, 1951, when Ronald Joseph Butch DeFeo Jr. was born. Growing up, Butch had it hard. Because he was the firstborn and a son, his father had very big expectations for him. And Big Big Ronnie was not afraid to uh, discipline Butch harshly. And one minute he would hug his son, the next he'd throw him across the room. So Louise's brother, Michael Brigante Jr., would later testify at the DeFeo trial about an incident he witnessed when Butch was uh, two years old. He said, quote, we were all sitting down in the basement watching TV and I don't know, the boy had done something. All of a sudden, he stood up, the father, and just pushed the boy this way into the wall. The boy banged his head or part of his shoulder or something, end quote. As a child, Butch was extremely overweight and would remain so until his later teenage years when he discovered uh, amphetamines. Butch's school life suffered as he was bullied because of his weight. The bigger kids would make fun of him, calling him names like The Blob, Bucky Beaver, and Pork Chop. Damn. Butch was not an only child for long, as on July 29, 1956, Louise gave birth to a daughter, Dawn Teresa DeFeo, and a few years later, on August 16, 1961, Louise gave birth to Allison Louise DeFeo, and then again on September 4, 1962, to Mark Gregory DeFeo. Sometime after the birth of Mark, Louise decided to leave her husband for unnamed reasons and to get his wife back. Big Ronnie decided to put his writing talents to use. And needing to express his love for his wife, Big Ronnie co-wrote a song called The Real Thing. In 1963, uh, jazz great Joe Williams recorded the song for his album titled titled One is a Lonesome Number. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So on October 24th, 1965, Big Ronnie was blessed with a third son, John Matthew DeFeo. By this time, the family had moved from their Brooklyn apartment to the affluent Long Island South Shore community of Amityville. For many, it was a mystery how Big Ronnie could afford such a lavish home on a car dealer's service manager's salary. The answer was clear. His father-in-law, Michael Brigante Sr. Mm. So in the early 1970s, Big Ronnie decided he wanted to have a series of life-size portraits created to immortalize his family. So again, Big Ronnie's father-in-law, Michael Brigante Sr., picked up the tab, which was estimated to be at least $50,000. Painstakingly detailed, the portraits took over a year to complete. $50,000 for portraits? Yes. And upon their completion, the the life-size portraits hung in large golden frames on the staircase wall in between the first and second floors of the Ocean Avenue home. Man. So... In the early evening hours of November 13th, 1974, it should be noted that uh, Butch pretty much lived a life of luxury. And he, quote unquote, had a job with his father at the car dealerships, but he rarely would go to work. So in the early evening hours of November 13th, 1974, the patrons of Henry's Bar, a tavern located at the corner of Merrick Road and Ocean Avenue in Amityville, chatted while sipping beers and cocktails. And, you know, this went from a typical night, one that would forever change the scope of this 
town yeah. forever. Oh, yeah. At yeah. 6.30 p.m., Butch DeFeo opened the door to the bar and yelled, you got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot, end quote. One of the patrons seated at the bar was Robert Bobby Kelsky, an out-of-work brick mason and Butch's best friend. And Bobby raced to his friend. Butch said, quote, Bobby, you got to help me. Somebody shot my mother and father. Bobby's questioned, are you sure they're not asleep? Butch, no, I saw them up there. Bobby, come on, let's go. Butch got to his feet and called for others at the bar to follow Bobby and him back to the house. Answering this call was John Altieri, Joey Yeswait, Al Saxton, and William Scordamaglia, owner of Henry's Bar. The six men piled into Butch's 1970 Blue Buick Electra 225, and Butch climbed in the back while Bobby took the wheel. Although the DeFeo house was only a block away, Bobby drove frantically down the street. One of the men yelled for him to slow down, which Bobby ignored, and arrived at 112 Ocean Avenue in a matter of seconds. The DeFeo residence was a large, rambling, three-story Dutch colonial home built in 1925. Because the property was long and narrow, the dark house sat sideways with the front door facing the elongated driveway. At the end of the DeFeo's 237-foot-long lot sat their boathouse, right at the edge of the Amityville Creek. The most distinguishable characteristic of 112 Ocean Ave was its dramatic front yard. Overlooking the street were two quarter-moon windows that looked like eyes, a feature common in Dutch colonial homes, and on the front lawn stood a lamp post with a sign attached that read, High Hopes, a symbolic title of the family's life in suburbia. Kneeling behind the sign were three figures of children praying to a larger statue of St. Joseph holding the baby Jesus. Bobby pulled the car to a quick halt, climbed out, and as he climbed up the porch steps, one of the other men cautioned, quote, be careful, somebody might be in there. Bobby, I don't care. He opened the unlocked door to the DeFeo home. The house was quiet, except for the barking of Shaggy, the DeFeo sheepdog, who was tied to the inside of the kitchen's back door because the dog was not totally housebroken and the family routinely tied him there. The interior of the home was just as impressive as the exterior. To the right of the marble-covered foyer was the formal dining room with red, velvet-textured wallpaper lining the walls. In the center of the room, over the uh, Dutch-style table seating six, hung a crystal chandelier. A textbook belonging to one of Butch's younger siblings sat unopened on the table next to a bouquet of wilting red roses. Across the foyer was the living room, which contained a baby grand piano. Fronting the large fireplace was a pair of white satin cushioned chairs. Lavish paintings and statues were scattered throughout the room. And all of this is noted to show just how lavish the interior of this home was. It's incredible. So with Bobby Kelsky in the lead, the five men hurried up the stairs to the second floor. Bobby, who was a regular visitor to the DeFeo household, knew exactly where the master master bedroom was located. And as they reached the second floor, they were overwhelmed with the stench of death. Bobby stopped at at the doorway to the master bedroom and hit the light switch. Before him lay Ronald Joseph DeFeo Sr., 43, and his wife Louise DeFeo, 42, a hole in the center of DeFeo Sr.'s bare back was the first indication the couple was not sleeping. Dried blood had trickled out of the wound, disappearing beneath the old 
the obese man's blue boxer shorts. In contrast, Louise DeFeo's wounds were not clearly ascertainable because her body was buried beneath an orange blanket, as if, you know, covering herself against the evening coolness. Yeah. Behind the bed was a mirrored wall, which eerily reflected the scene. Seeing that Bobby was ready to pass out, the other men led him downstairs, past the life-size portraits, the $50,000 ones, of family members that hung on the staircase wall. John Altieri remained on the second floor and checked out the northeast bedroom. Clipper ships, cannons, and eagles dotted the room's wallpaper, and on the dresser to the left of the door lay several statues and figurines that one would expect to find in a devout Catholic home. Strewn across the floor were athletic shoes and toys, signaling that the bedroom belonged to a boy, two boys to be exact. On opposite sides of the room lay the bodies of two young boys, face down like their parents. In the bed on the left lay the body of John DeFeo, nine. Altieri could not pinpoint the bullet hole in John's back since the Knicks sweatshirt he was wearing was covered in blood. In the other bed lay John's brother, Mark DeFeo, 12. Next to Mark's bed was a pair of crutches and a plain gray wheelchair. The boy had recently suffered a football injury and needed their assistance to get around. At the foot of the bed lay a crumpled up green and yellow bedspread and an orange blanket. This time, Altieri could make out the wound, a single bullet hole in the center of the boy's back. Seeing more than he wanted, Altieri left the room and rejoined the others on the ground floor. There, Joe Yeswite called 911, giving details to an emergency operator. What follows is the 911 transcript. Operator, Suffolk County Police, may I help you? Man, huh? Operator, this is Suffolk County Police, may I help you? Man, we have a shooting here. Uh, DeFeo. Operator, sir, what is your name? Man, Joey Yeswit. Operator, can you spell that? <laughs> Man, yeah, Yeswit. Y E S. W-I-T, operator, Y-E-S-W, huh? Operator, Y-E-S, huh? man, Y-E-S-W-I-T, operator, W-I-T, your phone number? Man, I don't even know if it's here. There's a, I don't have a phone number here. Operator, okay, where, where are you calling from? Man, it's in Amityville. Call up the Amityville police, and it's right off, uh, man, Ocean Avenue in Amityville. Operator, Austin? Man, Ocean Avenue. What the? Operator, Ocean Avenue? Off of where? Man, it's right off Merrick Road, Ocean Avenue. Operator, Merrick Road. What's, what's the problem, sir? Man, it's a shooting. At which point the police come... So that was an anonymous call. Not, no, he or, identified no, that was, himself. He I, identified himself as, yeah. You know what that sounded like? What? It sounded like you were doing one of those um, like Western Union telegram things. Well, I mean, it's not far off. No, I know. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I'll be there in a fortnight. Stop. Yeah, exactly. Who? Huh? Huh? Stop. Okay, stop. It's Blue House. Stop. <laughs> huh? <laughs> huh? So at this point, the police come, they take hold of the scene, and for a while, it wasn't certain what had happened. Uh, Butch, at some point, said it was the mob. Mm. At another point, it was 
his sister Dawn that killed everyone. Yeah, and that's a that's a big um Yeah. Like the I, I really had to laugh at the mob. Yeah. I mean, that's just a but again, like in the area, you could kind of you could you could toss that as an option. You know, I mean, it's Frankie Greenshoes shot him. <laughs> 22 times. 22 times this year. Vinny the fish. Once uh, once I saw Tony at the door, I knew it was all it was all gone. Yeah. But somehow I'm still alive. Yeah. And so eventually <laughs> after uh, blaming his sister, who also was killed. Mm hmm. He stated that he had only killed his mother, and then finally he admitted that this is, he did kill all yeah, of them. This is where, yeah, but this is where it goes back and forth, back and forth, yeah, back and forth. Yeah, it does. And there was a, um, oh, it was, it's basically like, at the end of this, that's all you have is belief in this thing. Of who did what and what did, yeah. you know. Now, with the Lutz's, uh, or not the Lutz's, the DeFeo murders, I mean, he did come right out and and talk about Dawn, the sister, mm -hmm. being a, a big contributor of it. Mm -hmm. And the evidence definitely suggests that there's no way he did this by himself. I find it that's, interesting. That's what Rick, this author Rick, yeah. goes They're through. And, and it's pretty compelling. On their stomach. And they did do a blood screen. And there were no... Drugs found in their system. Mm -mm. So it's interesting that they were systematically shot with a 35 calib caliber rifle, wasn't it? Yeah. So, a Marlin rifle, I believe. Yeah. Well, and then so, there was a, a knife, too, that was used. You would think. I mean, a rifle shot isn't quiet. No. So, I mean, aside from the fact that, all right, because... Their house was set back. Okay, I get neighbors not hearing it, but within that house, no. they should have heard it. Oh, without a doubt. I yeah. mean, especially old homes then, like the acoustics are way different than yeah. modern and the homes. house was built in 1925. And a 35 caliber rifle, I mean, that's like outside that's loud. Yes. And, and let alone inside. Yes where you have generally people that are sleeping on the same floor, even if you weren't on the floor, say you live down in the basement and somebody was upstairs. You're still going to hear And I it. say upstairs, not like the main floor, but the floor above that. Yeah, the second floor. Oh, yeah. And here's the thing. The neighbors are going to hear that too. Mm -hmm. So that's where it kind of gets, it gets a little weird. Um, it does get weird. Like I don't, I don't know where you're at in your in your. The next place I pick up is... Uh, Butch's attorneys. Okay, so I, I'd like to sit on this for a little second. And yeah. um, basically, like, Butch's uh, initial kind of statement that he was coming out when he confessed, uh, and this is through Rick's book and, and research as well, and it just seems right, quote-unquote, that this would be kind of how it took place. But that evening... Butch's father, according to Butch, routinely abused his family. After that evening's tirade, he said that there was a tirade that went and it settled down. Butch and his 18-year-old sister, Dawn. Now, this is all Butch's testimony. Correct, because Dawn is dead. Yeah, and it said, and two of Butch's friends proceeded to get high in the basement. And basically, 
Dawn, uh, I think she was pissed off that her dad was preventing her from joining her boyfriend in Florida or something like that. And just worn out from years of physical abuse. This is what he's saying. He's saying that Dawn DeFeo approached her older brother about killing the parents. And Butch initially refused. And then after what he was saying was a bunch of drugs, alcohol, and desperation over the next few hours, mm-hmm. Butch finally gave in to Dawn's request. And basically, Butch's two friends and Dawn and Butch left the basement and headed for the parents' bedroom on the second floor. And it was around 1 a.m. A friend was, you know, waiting as lookout. The other um, fouled Butch. And Butch had the 35 caliber Marlin rifle. Mm -hmm. And I think the friend had a, either a knife or a pistol, something. Basically from that point, that's where they were saying that the parents were attacked while they laid in bed. Mr. DeFeo, however, was able to struggle to his feet to attempt a counterattack. A second bullet struck him dead before he was able to reach his target. Louise DeFeo laid in bed, moaning for help as she slowly bled to death, and a second bullet would silence that. So did they roll them then onto their stomachs? See, this is where it gets all weird, and this is why I wanted to talk about it, because like, it's, yeah. just, it's really conflicting on a lot of areas. They were saying that the original plan called for the younger children to be taken to a grandparent's house in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Now, that's where you got to laugh at that. It's like, so they talk about it that night that they're going to mm-hmm. do it like it was the spur of drugs and all that yeah. other stuff. But then in another breath, he'll say, oh, the original plan called for the children to be taken to the grandparent's house in Brooklyn. So. So why didn't that you happen? Know, and Don, according to Butch, killed them to eliminate the children as witnesses and potential threats. Butch claimed he wasn't in the house at the time of the children's murders, but giving yeah. and then seeing that the children were murdered, but giving pursuit to one of his friends who had fled the scene in order to lure him back to assist with the cleanup. Mm-hmm. He said he was dealing with that bullshit. And then while he was trying to avoid insanity at the at the trial, he just never never admitted to shooting the the children mm-hmm. at the trial. Yeah. So at this point what he was saying is that the older sister went down and killed the children. And basically this goes back to what they were talking about with people in the bed. Mark DeFeo, who rested in this kind of final position in the bed, mm-hmm. they were saying that he suffered a debilitating injury from football yeah, and he was forced to sleep on his back. But yet he was shot face down in the bed. Correct. So the prosecutor also confirmed this fact at the actual DeFeo trial. Right. And then the next room, uh, they're saying Dawn entered, or he said, Butch, entered as Allison's, standing at the doorway. Dawn raised a rifle, taking aim. Allison slightly raised her head before looking into the muzzle flash. Death was instant, instantaneous as the bullet impacted Allison's left cheek and exited out her right ear. Allison's wounds were meant to disfigure the girl. Mm-hmm. It just seems like too much thought. Just in my own opinion. Mm-hmm. And then Butch returned and he was so upset at the senseless murder of the kids. This right. is Butch's, yeah. you know, deal, his perspective that he confronted his sister Dawn in her third floor bedroom after briefly wrestling for the gun 
Butch got the upper hand, slammed her against the bed, knocking her out. And while she laid unconscious on the bed, Butch placed the back of the rifle to her head and fired. And that was the end of the murder spree. Right. And then they had to do the cleanup. Yes. And basically, Butch DeFeo, from what I read, has really just kind of doubled down on this whole thing to dis- to blame the entire crime on his sister. Right. Even though the evidence, I mean, it really supports his involvement. Yes. But, um, you know, evidence also supply- supplies the claims that more than one gun and killer were involved in the DeFeo murders. Mm-hmm. And this is really kind of the... Not so, and that's what I can't stand about, like, everybody just concentrating on the Lutzes. It's like, there's this whole case here. Yeah. And it really happened. Yeah. And nobody, no Parents movies, no nothing want to talk, you know, yeah. I don't see why this gets, you and I talk about this all the time yeah. on this show, where it's amazing what, like, media groups and movies focus on. Yeah. To create a story when you have a real horrific story. I love right when there's a there. really juicy story. Yeah. And instead, they choose the mediocre half-baked. Half-baked, half-crock theory. Yeah. And you're like, like you what have, about this thing like, right this here? This is a horror movie right here. It is. In this and is of a itself, massive in horror its own movie. right. And the dude's still alive. No, he's not. Or no, that's right. He's not. But, we'll get to that. Yeah, no, but but he was alive during all of this shit. He was, you know, like yeah. going on with the movies yeah. and everything, and and that's where I just, you know, it, it's really strange. And he looks at it as, you know, he's he's never really he didn't write an admission of guilt at the trial. He just admitted to being part of this like conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And though, you know, several attempts were made by this author, Rick Asuna, who did the book and where we get a lot of this right, the website. stuff from, he was trying to contact one of these accomplices named by Butch DeFeo. Mm-hmm. And there's a rumor that was going around that he entered into a witness protection program for something totally unrelated to Amityville. Mm-hmm. And the other accomplice named by Butch died January 1st, 2001. Right. So the man refused the author's request for an interview or a chance to clear up any speculation of his involvement. Right. And as for Dawn, the post-mortem examination discovered that she had unburned powder marks on her nightgown, which lent further credence to Butch's claims of his sister's involvement. Um, and substantial evidence exists to support the story Butch DeFeo shared with this author, Rick and uh, mm-hmm. Geraldine uh, DeFeo. So it, it's a weird scenario. It, it is. really is. Now, there's this analysis of this bloody shoe, and it's gotten, it's had a lot of traction in this story. And it's basically alleged that uh, these, and, and there's photos of them on the site, and you can see them at other places, but there was these bloody shoes, and it was uncovered uh, in the Suffolk uh, County Police Files. And they're saying that it's fake because the baseboards behind the shoes don't match the baseboards in the bedrooms. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that that's an inaccurate assessment of the photo. There are several images uh, on the page that show that there was more than one style baseboard in the DeFeo house. Got it. So he was thorough with all this stuff, the author. Yeah. But these bloody shoes are significant. And what it does is it shows it's one piece of evidence that supports the fact that the DeFeos were not asleep at the time of their murders. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It also lends basically um, this retired New York City police detective, Herman Race, uh, who was the expert criminologist hired for the DeFeo defense. Mm-hmm. Mr. Race told the presiding judge that not all the DeFeos were shot in their beds. Mr. Race arrived at this conclusion because of bloodstains on the floors of the house. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that can be read deeper on this site. And so for many years, they... the Amityville legends relied totally on the misconception that the DeFeos were restrained from awakening during their own murders. Right. But this bloody shoes photo is a simple example of information that shows that it's not as cut and dry as it immediately thought. Right. So here's how I look at it. So if they, if it would make sense that they would hear what's going on and that they would awaken and or be up. So I guess if they weren't in their beds when they were killed yeah. or shot, mm-hmm. let's put it that way, when they were shot, then either Butch and or someone else would have had to have put them in their beds face down. That's what I think. I think they were put into their beds. I think it also shows for the amount of blood that's around and everything. Here's my theory on it. If we Mm -hmm. can get into theories. Go ahead. I think what happened now, the whole Butch and Dawn thing, I'm not even going to touch that. Mm -mm. Cause I mean, there's just each, each one is plausible. Yeah. It's plausible that Butch did it all. Yeah. I mean, however, the big thing is, is the powder on her nightgown burns and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm a little inclined to believe because they do say it's multiple people. Mm -hmm. I'm inclined to believe it might've been those two. Mm -hmm. Now the whole convincing back and forth and all that stuff. Yeah. Who really knows? Right. The butch story seems pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Like, cause the kids and all that. But again, like he says, it was this spur of the moment thing that night. Right. But yeah, he's he talking about how the original, original plan. plan. So that's again, where you got to look also when somebody's up for defense on this, you're looking at, they don't want to do premeditation. Right. Cause if you have premeditation, you're basically getting locked away and the, the key's just going to get burned somewhere. Yeah. Rightfully so. But that little slip up of originally the yeah. kids weren't supposed to be there. That shows how premeditated it was. Yes. And that he was on board for at least the parents. Yes. So that means they probably did talk about it mm-hmm. before that. Yeah. And if they were beaten up, that probably got all fucking high up in the basement, little kind of protected space to talk about what they want. Yeah. And they probably just sit there and, and be like, you know what? We should just fucking kill them and blah, let's blah, blah. Not- rule out the effects that drugs have. I mean, he oh, yeah. was taking amphetamines from the time he was a teenager. Yeah. No, definitely. You know, I mean, there's definitely some chemical you could imbalance say issues they there. made a series of bad choices. I think so. However, I think what happened in the middle of the night, because I think about it this way, I'm a pretty fucking light sleeper. I'm about mm-hmm. probably as light sleeper as they get. And I realize that not everyone's like me. I'm a very heavy sleeper. So that's the thing. Like if I'm exhausted and I'm a heavy sleeper, that first shot. So let's just walk through it. Let's just walk through it and think about it for half a second here. There's four murders, right? Yes. There's the mother, the father, and the two kids. Excluding Dawn. Let's exclude Dawn out of it. There's the two boys and the one sister. 
Allison. Oh, that's right. Right. Three three kids. Yeah. And we'll exclude Dawn well, out of yeah. this. So that's five people. So five people. So you think about it. If you're deep in sleep, the first shot, no one hears. Right? Maybe. Well, let's just say it. Okay. Say you're in deep sleep yep. and you, you don't wake, hear that. No, first you one. wake up, but you have no idea what the hell you woke up out of. Right. And let's say you're even groggy out of it. Let's just say you're groggy mm-hmm. and, you, and you're just kind of confused. So that first shot, you never even heard. Mm-hmm. You're just up. You don't right. even know why. The second shot you hear, you're groggy, but you're like, what the hell was that? Yeah. And you think it was something outside of the house. That's not lightning. You know, yeah. Or was yeah. that a car accident or yeah. something like that? You know, I mean, and so you're still in kind of disbelief mm-hmm. mode. And at this point, you're, you've got two down. But you're you're now at this point where you still have three to go. Yeah. And and that's where it just it doesn't make sense. And even like like his confession with Butch, Mr. DeFeo, however, was able to struggle to his feet to attempt a counterattack. Yeah. So who got killed first? You know, yeah. they'll sit there and they'll say they went right after him, which honestly, if he was beating all of them, they would have gone for him. They would have went straight to him. Yeah. Now and the then whole, they probably would have killed the mother because she didn't do anything to protect them. And that's the thing is, you know, that's a theory, too, mm-hmm. that you could examine. Mm-hmm. Or the fact is, is maybe they thought, like, if we shot him, mom would be like, all right, let's I'm on your side, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And she might have just said, what the fuck did you just do? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. That's where I'm getting where, you know, it's not as cut and dry as people want to say it is. You know, there's a lot of variables as you maneuver through these types of actions of things that could happen. Yeah. And the problem is you're never going to know. No. You're never going to know it all. But, like, I look at the only reason I'm getting so deep in the weeds on this is is this is movies you could create 21 movies on. You really could. Yeah. Instead of the bullshit that happened after, after, which will I'll lightly get into that. But it just, yeah, it falls flat. And to have them all on their bed is just impossible to think of. Yeah. It's impossible. The only way that could work is if they restrained the kids while they were sleeping. Yes. And just went in, did the parents, and then went over and did the kids. Did the kids, yeah. Which, again, would show... That there was just a ton of premeditation. Like, yes. Butch's story falls short on so many levels. Yeah. So many levels. So let's get into this. Yeah. On January 15th, 1975, Butch's then lawyer, Jacob Siegfried, motioned the court to be permitted the right, quote, the right to examine, inspect, copy, photograph, or make and take photostatic copies of the original notes of the arresting officers, together with police reports containing statements of the witnesses, end quote. Siegfried insisted these items were crucial in his affidavit, stating, quote, the defendant was deprived of his right to a preliminary hearing in the district court by the district attorney's actions in presenting the case directly to the grand jury, end quote. Regardless, the court did not believe these items necessary for Butch's defense, and on March 11, 1975, presiding judge John Jones denied the request. With little choice remaining, Siegfried later filed a notice of defense of mental disease or defect for his client, 
Since the defense had been denied an equal opportunity to have the same reports, records, and photos that the prosecution had in its possession, there was only one chance left, an insanity plea. Butch did not want his sanity questioned, and he threatened to strangle Siegfried. With little recourse and after spending more than $40,000 on attorneys, Michael Brigante Sr. told his grandson, Sweetheart, your dime is played out. This meant that Butch would have to use a court-appointed attorney. Yeah. On July 7th, 1975, William Weber from the firm of Frederick Mars and Bernard Burton in Pachegu, New York, was assigned as the clerk of the Suffolk County Court to represent Butch in his trial. On July 29th, 1975, Judge Ernest Signorelli, who was at the time presiding over the DeFeo trial, had a conference between Butch, prosecuting attorney Gerard Sullivan, and William Weber. The major concern was that there there were no objections to Weber's playing an active role in Judge Signorelli's campaign to be elected to the surrogate court. After everyone agreed Weber's role in Judge Signorelli's campaign did not pose a problem, the matter of an insanity defense came up. Weber was hoping Judge Signorelli would grant the defense motion to obtain copies of all the police reports and crime scene photographs the prosecution had. And on August 1st, 1975, Judge Signorelli issued a ruling on Weber's supplemental omnibus motion, granting the defense copies of the reports and photographs in the prosecution's possession. Since Weber, Weber did not receive the document until the end of August, he had little time to use them in preparation for the trial set to begin September 15th. On September 15, 1975, the defense was also uh, struck a devastating blow when Judge Signorelli announced in a hearing, quote, I deem it advisable to disqualify myself from the case, and I am going to ask the administrative judge to reassign the case. In his book entitled High Hopes, Sullivan openly admitted that he had an active role behind Judge Signorelli's dismissing himself. Sullivan added, I had not finished maneuvering. I was about to engage in a in a time-honored strategy that defense lawyers and prosecutors have honed in to an art form. Some call it judge shopping. Sullivan helped pressure Judge Signorelli from the case in order to get the judge he wanted. His wish came true because the DeFeo case was rescheduled to begin on Monday, September 22nd, 1975 at 9.30 a.m. with Justice Thomas Stark, Sullivan's choice, presiding over it. For his book, Talking with Serial Killers, British crim criminologist Christopher Barry D. interviewed Justice Stark. Confronting Justice Stark and Sullivan handpicking him, Justice Stark, with a wave of a hand, dismissed this and said, in hindsight, this was quite wrong, but things were different back then. At the outset, in an attempt to nail Weber down on his defense during a private post-hearing conference, Justice Stark asked, quote, At this time, Mr. Weber, are you prepared to continue our discussion as to the matter of the defendant's intentions of raising the defense of mental disease or defect? Weber replied, quote, Your Honor, I am not able to answer you on this point at this time. Still needing a definitive answer, Justice Stark continued, pressing Weber on the issue, whereas Weber replied, Your Honor, at this point, the only thing I could ask the court to consider is my application for an adjournment of the trial. Weber went on to explain to Justice Stark his need for the 60-day adjournment because he had 
been retained as an attorney only since July, Weber needed more time to prepare his case. Although Judge Signorelli had granted Weber's omnibus motion on August 1st, Weber had not received any paperwork from the district attorney until August 27th. During the post-hearing conference, Weber explained Race's findings, multiple killers, weapons, and accomplices not being prosecuted. With such an overwhelming amount of evidence, Weber felt an adjournment was appropriate. Besides, Weber argued that the presence of an accomplice who they named at the post-hearing conference to show that this witness was not cooperating might assist Butch in an emotional strain defense rather than a mental defect one. If an emotional strain defense was used, the successful and successful, the charge against Butch would be reduced from second-degree murder to first-degree murder or first-degree manslaughter. Although William Weber fought valiantly for his client, in the end, Justice Stark denied Weber's request and ordered the jury selection to commence on Monday, October 6, 1975. It was clear that Butch DeFeo was not being off- afforded the fullest pro- uh, protections of the American judicial system, so alternative med- um, methods were needed, including persuading Butch to plead insanity by pretending, among other things, to hear voices in the Amityville house. It was the early beginnings of the Amityville haunted house hoax. However, Butch was no actor, and his testimony actually backfired when he admitted not hearing any of the so-called voices the night of the murders. In an affidavit, Barry Springer stated that William Weber had told him that people approached him to write a book even before Butch's trial had started. Geraldine DeFeo further explained, because Butch felt insulted that his insanity could be questioned, Weber had to convince him by alternative means. He promised Butch that he'd get out in two to three years and that he'd be rich from the book's success. In a notarized affidavit, Geraldine DeFeo admitted to being a party to the initial planning of a book before backing out due to ethical concerns. Mm. So ultimately, Butch was found uh, guilty on all six charges. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it was a unanimous verdict, and the defendant was remanded to the custody of the sheriff for sentence on December 4th, 1975, and pre-sentence probation report ordered by the court in this term of the court extended for this purpose. So this is taken directly from what was submitted by the, the jury. Mm. His um and it it was officially murder in the second degree counts one two three four five and six. So he was remanded to custody, and Ronald Butch DeFeo, who committed these horrific crimes, or at least was uh, a, accused of accused it. and convicted of it, yep. died in New York State custody. DeFeo was 69 and died March 12, 2021, while receiving treatment for an illness at Albany Medical Center, according to the Niagara Gazette. He was an inmate at Sullivan Correctional Facility, a maximum security prison in the Catskills. The Albany County Medical Examiner's Office has not yet released his cause of death. Yeah. And then short, I, I believe it was while the, I think it was the sentencing was happening Mm -hmm. is when the Lutzes bought and moved into the house with the bulk of the DeFeo's 
furniture. Yeah, so that's where I wanted to kind of just tiptoe into the Lutzes for the next, you know, 10, 15 minutes because mm-hmm. you can't tell this story without the Lutzes. I mean, as much as I'd love to. Yeah. You just can't. And, yeah. um, you know, so while all this is going on, the the case and mm-hmm. and, and that type and of the stuff. the sentencing and what, the whatnots. Um, yeah, this is when the DeFeos start looking into getting into the property. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth saying this. The DeFeos lived in that house for more than nine years. When everything happened? Yeah, yeah. You know, they lived there nine years until... Until the incident. They lived there, babe, until they weren't. Yeah. But without incident. They never yes. complained about anything like that stuff. I even you know later on Butch would say he that he had voices, voices and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, this is where I mean, just Butch's story is just shit. Yeah. Everything that comes out of this guy's mouth is inconsistent. I'm not gonna say it's a lie. Right. It's just inconsistent. If you were up for a murder trial yes. of six people, mm-hmm. ultimately, mm-hmm. and and you have a legitimate option, an angle mm-hmm. to say, I heard voices and, and plead insanity, mm-hmm. you would ride that. Yeah. But the fact is, is deep he down, didn't. no, he didn't. And deep down, I think it's one of those, I did it. I stand by it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to let everybody think I'm a lunatic. Right. I I have right on my side. So I have this, you know. It's better for him to be seen as killing everyone than to be seen it's not, as It's not as seen. It's just not crazy. seen as crazy. You know, all this happened to me. Yeah. And I did it. I stand by it, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> That's the attitude I see. It's mm-hmm. not the words you hear, but it's right. the attitude you see. Yes. And like I said, just everything being in, inconsistent. If he really wanted to self-preserve himself... You know, to preserve himself yeah. and, and try to just get through life in the best scenario after this event, mm-hmm. he would claim he's crazy. Yeah. I heard a bunch of voices. Go in, get some therapy. Right. Show you're a good person. Show some remorse. Show some remorse. Show some <laughs> empathy. Yeah. You know, empathy and, and all of those type of traits. Yeah. You don't see that. No. You don't see any of that. No, he didn't. You do know, any and he of actually that. fought with his attorney and like his grandfather's like, look, dude, you know, we're not going to pay for this. And obviously he had the account, the, the, the cash flow to go that direction. I don't know. I don't well, know. No, I mean, you were talking about it there where the, the grandfather was financing basically the he was. defense. He spent $40,000 yeah. on the defense. No, and finally that, he was like, that's it. Yeah. And if you have this person that's not going to say they're crazy or, or go for the insanity defense, yeah, then why pay all this money for a defense? It's yeah. the same thing as a public prosecutor. Yeah. You're just going to say you're guilty. Mm-hmm. You can say you're guilty with zero, a zero dollar defense. You yeah. know, I mean, it's not, but so the DeFeos, they come in and Lutzes. basically, or yeah, the Lutzes, they come into this story and they basically, they had a, I, what was claimed to be a good business and not much troubles before. Mm-hmm. And they purchased the house. And they didn't even last 28 days or they lasted 28 days. Yeah. That was it. They moved out. Yeah. Uh, their stay was so short that they didn't even make a payment on the $60,000 mortgage they got on the house. And they got the house for a deal. Right. Of because everything of everything that had happened. happened. Yeah. And the, um, 
Jay Anson's best-selling book, The Amityville Horror, which started all, all of, of this, yep. was released to the public in a and the movie adaptation filed in 1979. So you have 1974 when the DeFeo murders took place. Yes. You have... Um, 1975. 1975 when the, the Lutzes, Lutzes moved, moved in, in. For their 28 days. For 28 days. And on August 30th, 1976, the Lutzes returned the house to Columbia Savings and, and Loan. And 77 was the book. So this is like year after yeah. year after year after year. And, you know, the Lutzes basically claimed that in those 28 days, there was just a ton of weird shit that took place. Yeah. Ton of weird stuff. Yeah. You know, fucking talking to a pig with red eyes. Jody. Yeah, Jody. Yep. And uh, maybe that's what we should call the skull on our table here, Jody. Jody. I don't know. I like the girl. Or lady. Lady. I like lady. Lady. Lady's nice. But- yeah, they had all this weird stuff come, and, and they left. Now, you brought up something really strange at the beginning of this. You have this guy who has a decent business, mm-hmm. so we're told, mm-hmm. and they're making decent money. Mm-hmm. They buy this house for a steal, mm-hmm. and they kept all of the furniture from the Lutzes. Yeah. They kept everything there. The DeFeo. Or DeFeo, sorry. Yeah. They kept all that there. That's fucking weird. It is weird. I'm sorry. It's just strange. Yeah. And you have the people that support the Lutzes, which include the Warrens. <laughs> the Warrens went far it with it. It should be noted, though, that the Warrens didn't actually go into this property mm-hmm. until after the Lutzes had left. Oh, yeah. They were long gone. Yeah. And they kept saying they were never going to go back there. Mm-hmm. They were never going to go in there because of all of this horrific yep. stuff that happened. Now... The attorney, who was the guy that wrote the book, said they made it up over a couple bottles of wine yeah. because of the um, the success of the movie The Exorcist. And they were like, you know, we could, you know, potentially monopolize on this. Mm-hmm. And then they wrote the book. There are claims that the Lutzes passed lie detector tests. Which is it true. It should be noted. Yeah, no, it's not. That a... lie detector tests aren't even admissible in yep. court. And that all they test is that they're stressed. So if they're not stressed about their quote unquote story, they're going to pass the lie detector test. Mm-hmm. It should be noted that everyone associated with this story, with the exception of, I think, I don't remember whether it's the oldest son mm-hmm. or the the next son in line. He's the only one that maintains shit actually went down that's, in that house. That's Daniel. Yes. And he's the only but one. But he's more claim to that just the house ruined his life. Yes. And that it continues he continues to have nightmares and stuff like that. Yes. I you know, I, I think this is what happened with the Lotzes. This is my my theory on the Lutzes. I think they got this house. I think they got it cheap. Yeah. They said that he had a decent business, but it's funny because ever since they had the house, which everybody has to be reminded here, they didn't file one single payment. Made on the zero bank. No, payments. Zero payments. Yes. But then after you're going to hear all the stuff that they were bogged down in legal issues, financial issues. Yeah. You know, even though the Lutzes former attorney, William Weber, he fell out of them over money issues. Mm-hmm. And it came out in like 1979. 
He was just claiming that's the claim that you were saying that the three of them came up with the horror story, just drinking wine or whatever, right. just hanging out. Yeah. And the thing is, is even this is where the doubts start going around where, like I said, it's just consistent. Yeah. Even James Brolin and Margot Kidder, who were the two leads in the movie, in the movie. Yeah. They uh, spent a lot of time uh, with the family mm-hmm. and became close with the family. I know. I think Brolin himself did. But neither one of them believed the story right. of the parano- paranormal uh, yeah. happenings. I mean, they just they just didn't believe it. I believe the priest that they said came over and was supposedly featured in the book and the movie. In speaking with that priest, he's like, "I never, I never received a call from them, and I never went yeah. to the property." Yep. No, but they they bought the Lutzes bought that house for eighty grand, which at that time I was you said a, it was sixty. I'm sorry, it it was eighty. Okay. Right. Uh, which at that time, uh, a fucking steal. Mm-hmm. And and then, like, for an additional $400, they were able to just keep the furniture and all right. that. Right, yes. This Why is just, would you do that? That's what I'm saying. Like, if, if you really were in that neighborhood and you had to deal on that, like, you're going to spare no expense to make changes in that neighborhood. Like, if, you, if, you're, going with... if you're from that neighborhood. So I'm going with this. I'm going they had money problems yes. going into that house. Yes. And I think they were looking at the whole landscape of the DeFeo murders. Yes. And they were saying, you know what? I don't know how yet, but we'll figure it out. Right. You know, but we, or maybe they had a, a plan. Right. And, and they just went to carry it out and they went to do it and get it going. Cause mm-hmm. even the church backed out, like every, even the priest was like, yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it was a fraud. Yeah. And 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 not just a priest, but even the church backing him. Like, yeah, no, there was just nothing, right. nothing there. And and anything that was said, it it wasn't them saying it. They were just like, yeah, no, we didn't we didn't say any of that stuff. Because like the priest was in there at one point, and they said that the priest heard the voice get out, yeah, that type yeah. of stuff. And and I, but my theory, I think that's what it is. I think they had money problems. I think they saw that house. I think they were saying, you know what, we could do this, get some sort of a deal. And then what happened was just like everything else in an entertainment industry, if you're the originator of an idea, mm-hmm. this is why writers get fucked every single time. Every movie you watch, every television show you watch on TV that's a finished product, there's a writer there that invented that whole story yeah. by themselves. And they're probably making about 10 grand off the millions if they're lucky, that are be if they're lucky, yeah. you know. I know now. So what is your what is your theory? So my theory is is that they thought they were going to do well on this, and it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. All of news media, everybody hopped on this Lutz story, and and everybody else made out good on it except them. I, I think, think that's what happened. Now the other theory, the old man was into the like the occult, the yeah. occult. <clears throat> Now, the thing is, is he might have stirred up something in there. Maybe. I will go that route. Yeah. I'll go to the route that everything happened to the Lutzes that house. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, is that's their own fucking thing. It's not the house. Yeah. It was the Lutzes. It's their own damn vault. Whether they yeah. projected in their mind or, you know, just had every everybody in the house do the power of suggestion. Mm-hmm. And that could even be if it was a plan. Like they right. could just tell the kids, if we tell the kids it's haunted, they're going to think it's haunted. Right. And then just let the kids go. And we'll just let the yeah. kids go and see where it goes from there. But 
I just don't, because everyone else who has owned this house has had no problems. Zero issues. But you talk to Ma Lutz, and Ma Lutz is like, oh, yeah, no, it happened to everybody. Everybody who's in that house, it happened to. And then you got people that own the house, and they're like, no. No. The only thing that every uh, owner of this house and property, Mm -hmm. everything about it, the, the, the part that drove them out of that house was not, Anything paranormal, nothing haunting. It was the fandom. Yeah, it was the rubberneckers. Yeah. The rubberneckers and the fandom. And they were just like, I can't take this anymore. Right. And they all sell. Yeah. Every single one of them. They even as went as far as changing the address on this house. Yes, they did. To hope. That it would slow would down. just slow it down. And it just didn't. Mm-hmm. It just, and the problem is, is there's 21 fucking movies on this house. Yeah. So every time it dies down. Another movie Some comes out. Some douchebag comes up with, let's do an Amy horror movie. And you've got this, you know, I couldn't even imagine. Like, if I own that house yeah. and everything's going great, it's dying down, I'm just chilling out here in the area in this beautiful home. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, you hear the movie coming up and you're like, great, here, here we, we go. go. Yeah. You know, and now you got everybody driving by the house, checking it out, knocking on the door. Have you had anything happen to you in this house? You know, I, that would drive me Absolutely insane. Yeah. Even if I just was like, no, tell everybody, no. Yeah. Have a news reporter. No. Yeah. Even the original movie that they did on this, they didn't even do at location at that house. No. You know, so all those stories that you hear, just telling the audience, all those stories that you hear of, oh, when they were on set, this happened and that happened. They weren't even there. Right. They didn't even use photos of that place. Like they just, it's unreal how it manifests into this thing. And yet you have a family that got brutally murdered there. And, and the fact is, is you got to not even they're They're not even like a blip on the radar. They're mentioned in the first 30 seconds yeah, of the story, it. the film, yeah. whatever. Yep. And it's just, it, it's, it's stupid it is. and it's disrespectful To the DeFeos. I'm going to say it it for what it is. It's so disrespectful to the DeFeo family who got. Six people died in that house. Not died, brutally murdered murdered in in that that house. house. And to completely have that overshadowed by. The Lutzes. I'm going to say it for what it is. The Lutzes. And their made up situation. Yeah. Or situation of their own uh yeah and and just to clarify i'm not saying all of the lutzes i'm saying the parents yeah because the kids didn't have a choice on any of this stuff they just you know like the one i was telling you about that daniel daniel you know dude that dude was just in for the ride he did uh a movie called my amityville horror i heard about that uh, we watched it yeah um it may have been during the era during the era um he mentions that the father, which was his stepfather, yeah, was the one doing all of these weird occultish rituals, had a bunch of mm-hmm. occultish books and paraphernalia. And I think he even claimed that, you know, he was doing these weird uh, rituals in the red room in the basement, the red room that gets referenced in uh, the movie. And he claims that, what he experienced was genuine, was real, but I I believe even his, if I remember correctly, he was like, it was because of George Lutz, 
not anything that was pre-existing in the house. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's, and I believe that. I would. I'm I more really inclined do. to believe that now. It's supposed to be in the lore with uh, hauntings. The situation that sets up the ideal, yeah, haunting phenomena. Yeah, yes. is that something tragic has to happen yeah. there? And let's be honest, that's exactly what happened was something tragic. But they were they were in that house twenty eight days. Well, yeah, twenty eight days. But I mean, at it wasn't even a full year no. from when the murders had happened, and I just, I don't know. I, you know, well, like I, I said, I just before the mortgage payment is due, they, they, they're out of they there. Beat feet. And I you've think, got somebody who's into the occult and this whole thing happens. I mean, it's just, it's too, it's too coincidental. My theory is, uh, I think George presented to Kathy that he was doing well financially. I don't think he was. Oh, I believe I, that. Yeah. And the fact that he kept, or they kept, all of most all of the I could, I possessions could, I could of that. the DeFeos. I think he purposely was like, okay, I'm either, you know, I, I might have some irons in the fire here and things could get good and we would be able to stay in this gorgeous house for, mm -hmm. you know, this pittance. Or if these things in the iron don't pan out, then. Hey, you know, we could just say, you know, we've yeah, got but it's all just of she believes in it. She, her belief in it was the whole time, the whole time. She I, never I unwavered from it. I don't care about it. her. I don't no, but care what I'm, about the the mother. I think at the end of the day that it this was all George, and when they got toward the end of the month, he realized his shit wasn't going to pan out. So he was like, "Let's beat feet. Let's write this book." And we can try and recoup or try and get it's some possible. sort of some sort of money out of it. I think he purposely set up the situation, put themselves in that situation, and come hell or high water, it was either one going to work and they'd have this great house in this area that they normally would not have afforded, or if they still at this great price couldn't afford it he would come up with this story that would at the end of the day, but she has nothing in it to stay in it. You know what I'm saying? Like other than being part of the original idea of it and believing it themselves, you know, because like even the lawsuits, like George and Kathy filed a lawsuit against many of the people in the media related to the haunting. And they were suing for like invasion of privacy, misappropriation, a name for trade purposes and negligent in infliction of mental distress. All of these lawsuits were dismissed. Yes. Every single one of them. Yeah. And she's involved in that. You know, like, I mean, she's involved in that the whole way. It's where I can't throw it all on George. No. I really can't. She but was involved in it the, the day, whole way. It was either they were going to. And also doing the lie detector test. Like, if she wasn't involved much in it and all that stuff, I mean. Mm -hmm. Doing the lie detector test, it just shows, you know, I think it's this. I, I, I really go back to the whole thing of I think they saw this opportunity mm -hmm. 
to make money off of this house with this idea. I think they were in the, I think they were in the occult. Yeah. I think they said, you know what? We could maybe do something with this because this is the time of like the exorcist yeah. and stuff like that. I yeah. mean, this is becoming that. This, and this you know, house at this time is the perfect opportunity. We talk about that in our very first episode of Haunted yeah. Houses, the whole kind of timeline mm-hmm. with TV mm-hmm. of how things were going with horror films and things like that. And this late 70s mm-hmm. era was really freaking juiced up and cooking it was with horror movies. Yeah. It was it was really, really cooking. And I think they I think they knew enough to believe their own bullshit yes. with it. And they just took off with it. Yeah. And I, I don't think they really had a complete plan, but they had some yeah. sort of a plan. And well, they'd figure it out. They had 28 days. Yeah. They, well, they had 30 or 31, depending on uh, when they moved in. Yeah. But yeah, between all these people talking about the hoaxes and everything, yeah. and these are close people that were involved in the story, the attorney, the, yeah. the priest and all that stuff. I mean, it just, it's crazy. I mean, 2012 was when Daniel Lutz gave his own account of what happened there. And that's that my Annieville horror. Yeah. And he talks about, revealing the horror of growing up as part of one of the f- most fami- famous hauntings. And he's yeah. like the Amityville kid. And it's really tough because being that young, what's real, what wasn't, Yeah, you know? And obviously that's where I got to throw both the parents kind of just at a, at a fault for that. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can just hand it all to, to him, but it's uh like I said, overall, and this was our whole point with doing this, it's just a massive disrespect to the Defoe. DeFeo. DeFeo family. Defoe. I had William Defoe stuck in my head. Because I saw him in something last night. But it's, yeah, it's a big disrespect to that family. Mm -hmm. It really, truly is. And I just am appalled every time there's like a movie that comes out and it just features the Lutzes. It just features them over and over and over again. And I just shake my head at that type of stuff. It's like you have, you and I talked about this in the past. We're going to talk about it even more because it's just, it's so frequent. Why create this stupid story when you have have a a real story, a real compelling story right there? Yeah. And it's a horrific story. Yeah. And and you have that there. You're trying to ask Hollywood to make sense. And let's be honest, they do don't make sense. Oh, no, no, no. It, it's not sense. It's money. It chased money. And so that's, you know. And they, could have, they could have banked a shit ton of money on that story. Yeah, but the thing is, is this, too. And this is where, again, like money, I've, I've worked in kind of corporate environments where I see kind of, I've seen firsthand like the think tank of people trying to just squeeze money out of something. And, and Hollywood does this. They just, I bet there was a, a, a table where they were talking or just a group of people talking. And I bet this might've been a crossroads in the story. There would have been like, well, we could talk about the DeFeos. Mm-hmm. We could do that. But the problem is none of them are alive. And you got this one guy in prison. Yeah. That's it. Where the Lutzes, they're all here. Yeah. And they can do the promos. We can do this. You know what I'm saying? It's like it makes it marketable and it makes it real. Like these are real people. Mm-hmm. You can touch them. They're still alive. Blah, 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 blah. And I hate to say it, but that's that's how the money machine works in anything. Whether you're making donuts, movies, bubble gum, selling shoes, 
it's not just making the actual movie. It's the whole promotion packages and how it can capture the most interest with you. Yeah. And and honestly, I think it's just as simple as that. It's generally simple, unfortunately, but it's simple. It's storytelling. I'm, I don't agree it's good storytelling. No. That's why I'm not a big fan of a lot of the, the movies and films and yeah. all that stuff because you and I will sit and there, honest, we'll watch a movie, and we'll look it up and look, and we're like, wait a second. Yeah. This is the real story. That's why I've only ever watched that first. The first one? Amityville movie. Yeah. And I've not watched a single movie after. I did watch the My Amityville Horror because it was from the sun, and from I was like, sun, all yeah. right. All right, what do you got to say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's your deal, pal? Yeah. What do you got? I heard what do you that got, liar, liar, pants on fire. Because I heard that what was it? Amityville 3D, I think, was a movie. I think that plot was different because it was about somebody doing like an investigation on the house. What? And then it worked for him. No, that's where it gets to be stupid. Yeah. And that's where I say from a movie perspective, it's the Amityville Horror House. The 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 the, yeah. the movie industry has made the house the yeah. subject. They have. And that's where again, I'll say it, it's just so disrespectful to that family that got murdered there. Yes. Cuz it had nothing to do with the damn house. No. Nothing to do with the house at no. all. And they were the ones that started this whole thing. If they didn't get murdered, yeah. you and I would be talking about our next topic. Which is the Hoya Beku Forest. Yes. Listener requested. So. You request, we do it. Correct. It's that simple. It is. It is really that simple. No arguing, no debating. No. You say, hey, can you do this? Yeah. Sure. Why not? I mean, as long as there's information on it. Yeah, there is. Yeah. I did so, a little uh I did a little perusing. It's actually some pretty cool information on it. Well, cool beans. You know? And uh in the meantime, if you haven't listened to our whole catalog and you're into speaky uh, speaky. Speaky? I can't talk today. No. It's a good thing you're I'm not on a, doing great. It's a good thing I'm on a podcast, right? I know, right? <laughs> if you're into spooky forests, I suggest you listen to episode fifteen. Suicide forest. Correct. And yep. that'll that'll get if you primed forests up. Forests are your jam. And not gump. Actual real forest. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Check out Suicide Forest if you haven't heard it. It'll give you a good primer mm-hmm. of uh I'd say how flexible we are with topics. Yeah. Cause that's what I love about our podcast. I mean, Speaking I- from a host perspective. I just love it. And creation end. I do too. But mm-hmm. the biggest part I love is we're not pigeonholed into any certain kind no. of area. No. No. You know, if it's if it's uh, remotely linked to horror in some shape Correct. or fashion, we're on it. Whether it's a true crime, an old story. Right. Any of that stuff. But we're getting very excited to do our next uh, topic and very much so if... Guys, You're under we're a cave. In we're, August. We're getting and into August. And we're starting to gear up because it's close. Our Super Bowl's coming up in just a couple months. Yep. So basically, so uh, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but I am going to tell you how to live your life. Yeah. And, uh, you should buckle up because we've got some good topics. I'm not going to say these next few weeks are, are uh, just kind of floaters, but no, sir. We've got some good ones coming up. We do. However, September. 
and of course October. Yes. We're pulling out all the stops. We are. We're pulling up. We're we're gonna be we're throwing going big. We're going very big every single week. And uh, we are very excited to get into it because we love this time of year. Yes. We're going to talk we about uh, not just our topics, but if we see anything cool. Yes. Online. Yes. Anything uh, cool to uh, share that you yes. would uh, purchase and buy in your house, we're going to share. Yes. And as our commitment, the whole entire year, we are not making any money off of this podcast. I should repeat that. We haven't said it in a meeting. long time. Yeah. We do this out of love. It's a labor of love. Yes. And we promised each other the whole first year, we're not doing this for money. No, we're just going to do this. And if we still love yeah. it at the end of the year, then we're going to pursue it further. We'll bring in some monetization so it can fund itself. Right. And be a little less uh, demanding on the financial On end. the pocketbook, yeah. Yeah. Because let's be honest. It is demanding on the pocketbook. Well, yeah, it's enough to say we need to seek out some outside sources for for help. We need a little bit of help. But we have been, we're having more fun now than we were in the beginning. Yes. And we had a lot of fun in the beginning. We did. And we're so excited. Right after Halloween, we're going to have a couple more months and that's a full year. Yes. Of every single week. I just want, I, I just want you to know. That we have, all right, no, let me rewind. Let me sum up. I listen to a shit ton of podcasts. Yeah, you work from home. I, that's what gets Your office me is through yep. my work day is I listen to the podcast. How many do you think you listen to? Different, I, different podcasts a week. I'm subscribed to. You think it's two dozen? I, or more. Or more, yeah. Here's the thing. Some of them are limited runs. Yeah. Like it's on a topic and they do eight, maybe 10 episodes and mm -hmm. then they're done. Then there are others that I listen to where they take, they go on vacation or breaks yeah. all the time. Yeah. I don't have a single podcast. I mean, aside from Joe Rogan, he was the only other one that mm -hmm. pretty much on a consistent basis was releasing episodes. Yeah. But I mean, he was doing multiple episodes in a week. Mm -hmm. We've consistently given you one episode a week for 30, 34 weeks now, because this is episode 34. Yeah. Yeah. So we we haven't taken a break. And no. our hope is that we can just keep Providing well, no, and we'll be content. able to do that because we we double up on some yeah. things to free up some time, and and we just love doing this. We but really here's do. The thing, if we do this smart enough, <laughs> we'll be on a vacation, and you guys won't even know because you'll still be getting. Content. Well, no, that's going to happen yeah. in October. Yeah, because we're going to be gone for. Yeah, we're going to be gone to Salem for a week. Yep, and you know spoilers that'll, that'll publish up. But, <laughs> But the fact is, is we're very, we're very excited with this. We're very happy. Our commitment is every Monday, it's going to release. Right. Every single Monday. Doesn't Unless matter. Unless there's something wrong with. Yeah. With I mean, goal. if we yeah. have a technical issue, exactly. that's the only thing that could get in the way with it right. is a technical issue. But even then I would toss something out temporarily. Be yep. like, Hey, we're still going. Yep. Just got some fucked up shit. Yep. Hang in there. 
Love you. <laughs> We're working on but, it. But no, we really appreciate the support. We really appreciate uh, the feedback that we get from many of the listeners. Uh, it's very encouraging. Uh, we love you guys so much. Yes. You're you're the best. Mm-hmm. And we're so excited to get into these next couple of months because these are topics that we drool over yes. and love talking about. Yes. And these are the the big ones that are close close to our hearts and correct and are are just our whole excitement of the whole subject. Yes. But if you know anybody that would be interested in this, because I know and what we're hoping is that there's multiple, uh, you know, people that wouldn't normally listen to horror podcasts and they're going to be looking for horror podcasts during the horror time of year. Yeah. The typical September, October deal. We'd love it if you could just share our, share our name, share, you know, share our website. You like horror? You want horror? <laughs> I got a podcast for you. Yeah. And just uh, share our website, ohthehorrorpodcast.com. Or if you know they use a similar platform. Yeah. Just share it with them through a text or something like that. We'd really, really appreciate it. We have been 100% word of mouth. Yes. Um, you know, we might have gotten some exposure We're on the, the platforms. the podcast that could. But it's, it's 100% word of mouth at this point. We are going to be approaching some marketing opportunities, possibly. We will share those with you if it's happening. And if you're getting punished by us on any kind of ads or anything, I apologize in advance. Right. But we're going to do some light ad work just to see what works. Right. And then that'll proceed to next year. Because next year, I'm going to say it right now, spoiler alert, we've got huge plans next year. We do. This whole first year was cutting our teeth, yep. learning how to do this, yep. figuring it out, yep. getting a schedule set up, mm-hmm. getting a whole workflow set up. That's what people got to understand a podcast, it is a couple people talking on a mic at the end of the day. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. But there's a whole technical end to it for editing mm-hmm. and getting it to sound good and cleaning things up, so to speak. We don't do a whole lot of cleaning. I'll be flat honest. Uh, it's Nobody not much cleaning at all. That. But let's get to what they do care about. But what we uh but what we're really getting into is the the list of you know, the list of topics, Yes, that's something we have to, it's, it's a giant workflow that we had to figure out. And with us working full-time jobs, it takes a year. Mm-hmm. And right now we feel very comfortable doing what we're doing. And that's where we're looking for next year to be a very big year for us and different. Uh, we will be bringing in ads to of some kind and we'll be communicating with you through that whole entire process. Know. You'll know. We'll tell you. We'll tell you what we're doing, why we're doing it. And we're going to also do on location type things next year. Fingers crossed, guys. Fingers crossed. Um, if we get a larger audience, we'll be looking to do live pod- podcasts. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but mostly when we talk about on location, it's actually going to physical locations. Yes. And we're going to go through some of these places that are claim to be haunted Yep. and we're going to go there through the day and we're going to that evening we're going to investigate yeah or the next day we're going to share what we experienced right. and what we found and hopefully maybe just maybe i'll have my very first genuine experience maybe we'll see we'll see so have a wonderful day have a wonderful week 
One. One. Shit. I'm just laughing at this right now. No Ouija boards. Is it Ouija boards first? <laughs> no Ouija boards. No dolls. No capes. Yeah. Uh, no blood rituals. Yeah. No cults, yeah. satanic or otherwise. Yeah. And no apathy. Yeah. You have. It's not enough to say something. You have to act. You can't let horrific things happen or bad things happen and just be a bystander. Mm -hmm. You just can't. And and getting involved doesn't mean pulling out your phone and taking a video. No. And it doesn't mean saying, boy, somebody ought to do something about Here's that. Here's an example. We just had dinner with Frank's dad, mm -hmm. and he was at the VA in Albany. Yes. And a situation happened where... Someone in the waiting room had a mental break mm -hmm. and pulled the TV and the cable out of the wall. And Frank's dad yeah. was the first to jump up and restrain the guy so that, one, he couldn't hurt anyone else, two, or, or himself. himself, and three, him couldn't destroy anything else in the room. Yep. So Now, here's here's the interesting part of that story. Once my dad did that, Two other people leapt up to help and him. helped. Yes. So at the my end dad, of the day, my dad, when I say no apathy, that's, you have to act. That's what it means. And my dad was there. He goes there to get some other appointments that aren't anything to do with major he physical things. He was there for what he thought was appendicitis, appendicitis or a bad back. Yes. He was there for that, and leapt up, and with him leaping up, two others leapt up. And also helped. And helped out the situation. That's what it's about. That's what it's all about, folks. Yes. It's not taking a video no. with your camera to get some views of watching no. somebody have a breakdown. No. And make a name for yourself off of right. someone's severe misfortune in life. Yes. Yes. That's a horrible person to be. Yes. And we pray and hope that you will never, ever do that. Correct. So... With that being said, yeah. make good choices. Take care, folks.